Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I want to start us out today, as always, by inviting us just to take a moment to center ourselves and to find our breath. So if you would, I invite you to close your eyes if you're able to, and just to connect with your breath, just to connect with your divine wisdom and your sacred source. Breathing in and out, taking a moment just to pause and to be present in the here and the now. To be present with your feelings, your expectations for the conversation that you're about to hear. Connect with your courage and your power. Connect with your ability to change the status quo. Understanding that you are love and you are loved. And love is one of the key components to healing. You are a person of compassion and understanding. So breathe in and out. Connecting with who you are and your interconnectedness with everyone else. Take a deep breath in and out. Claiming your ability to change the status quo. And recognize that what you do matters. What you say matters. What you think matters. Take a deep breath in and out. Recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take another deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's begin. Today on our show, we are going to be talking about jazz, among other things. But jazz originated in the African-American community in New Orleans, and the world has been blessed by many, many jazz artists over time. And jazz itself has transformed over time. One of the things that's really important when we think about jazz, as well as other uh, musical forms and art in itself, is that historically, those things that were started by African-Americans were somehow co-opted and appropriated by whites. Sometimes we were completely erased from the picture. And yes, of course, there were great artists who, who came, great white artists who uh, came out of jazz. And it's nothing wrong with other cultures appreciating jazz. The problem becomes when folks begin to claim it as their own. In the African-American community, we've seen this, whether it be music or something like braids. For those of you who are my age, you might remember when Bo Derek started wearing cornrows. And then people said that it was so fabulous, so wonderful. And those of us in the Black community said we've been wearing cornrows forever. Or we can even look at body types. And we can take a look at the ways in which there are, and I won't call the names, you will know who they are, that all of a sudden when white women started to find that they had a bit more curves or 
rather got injected with more curves, then it became the end thing. It's really important if we are going to engage in healing of our racial wounds that we begin to recognize culturally who we are as individuals and then give honor and homage to that which we love. And the ways in which we give honor are the ways that lead to healing. It does not mean that we can't appreciate it. It does not mean that white people can't enjoy jazz. It doesn't mean that we can't have an Al Jolson or a Benny Goodman. But what it does mean is giving credit where credit is due. So today on our show, we are going to be talking about All That Jazz, which of course, in All That Jazz, the movie, who was the star of All That Jazz? It certainly was not Black people in that. It was a very interesting movie. Go watch it for yourself. But we are talking about All That Jazz because today's guest, Lindsay Guarino, I hope I'm not butchering your name, Lindsay, who is the editor of of the book Rooted Jazz Dance. She is an artist, an educator, and a scholar. She's an associate professor and the chair of music, theater, and dance at Salve Regina University. She's facilitated the dramatic growth of the dance program, including its new major focused in jazz studies. Her historical and embodied research, I love that, her embodied research interrogates the impacts of white supremacy on jazz, or rather its history. And she's looking at uh, it through an anti-racist lens, and she investigates the intersectionality of the jazz pedagogy and Afronistic aesthetics, American history and identity and culture. And I could go on and on and on. But today I want to hear from Lindsay, who really says that her understanding of jazz really parallels the work that she is doing in dismantling racism. And the reason why I think it's so important to have Lindsay to discuss her point of view about this is because one of my goals as a facilitator, one of my goals uh, on this show when I talk about eradicating racism People often think that when we want to dismantle structures, it means that we have to be out in the street, rah, rah, rahing, you know, saying no justice, no peace, or we have to be rewriting the laws and all of that. Yes, that needs to be done. But I want us to understand no matter what your position is in life, all you have to do is simply look around and see where racism is perpetuated. And then you begin to chip away at it one step at a time. Lindsay could have decided that she was going to take jazz and enjoy jazz. And that's the end of it. But she decided to go deeper. So I'm delighted today to welcome Lindsay Guarino to the show. Welcome, 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 Lindsay. Thank you, Tara Lynn. I appreciate such a warm welcome and also the centering and the meditation. I feel like the things that you're saying just about grounding yourself and listening and being open is often um, at odds with how some people perceive conversations about race, Mm -hmm. which uh, a lot of people lead with it being divisive. And that's not my experience or my perspective. So I'm just grateful that that's how we enter the space. Ah, thank you for that, Lindsay, because I actually think that that's really uh, an important thing especially for me as a healer, because I first came into, I think, teaching this, because I've been doing this now for over 20 years. And I think I really, even though I taught about uh, how to dismantle racism and how to have the conversations, I think that there was a place as an instructor, because there was so much that people needed to learn, people of color and, and white people. And even today, folks come to me because they want to learn, because white people in particular will say, well, I don't know what I don't know. I just need you to teach me everything. For me, it's about the healing process. 
How do we engage in this work in a way in which we can honor who people of color are, but also create the space for everyone to feel safe and grounded in this work? Because it stirs up emotions when we talk about this. Right. You know, and and so I just want to share with people, you know, when I met you, Lindsay, I met you in a place where you were talking about, you know, your story in general around um, jazz. And it was so interesting to me because you went to a place where you were just talking in general and I was into your conversation about how you got started in jazz, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then you all of a sudden just just changed it. It was seamless where you changed it to talk about white supremacy. And for me, I was blown away by that because it was so seamless and it was in a context where no one was expecting it, right? Because when I looked around the room, I think I was probably one of three people of color maybe present in that room, maybe four, I'm not sure. And we were just there to hear stories. And I want to just say how grateful to me as a person of color that you were emboldened enough to really talk about white supremacy. And and also you could show people how easy it Mm -hmm. really is to talk about it, to, to, to incorporate it. It's not easy to do the work, but it's easy to incorporate it. Thank you just for perceiving that in that way, because entering that um, particular storytelling space, I was invited to share my story and without any parameters on what kind of story I was going to tell. Mm-hmm. My story is very much in connection to jazz, which is central to my existence in so many different areas of my life, from my personal friendships, that ecosystem that I'm a part of, but also my research, my role as an educator, as a program director. Um, But that absolutely parallels who I am as a white person and all those biases that I've had to undo and work through. And um, what I now realize is my role in dismantling white supremacy and racism that we all are a part of and we don't necessarily see and name data. Mm, mm. So Lindsay, we're going to have to take a a break, but when we come back, I want to know how you got started in jazz and and what was it that says, well, I want to do jazz as opposed to, you know, any other dance form. I want to talk about that a little bit and then really talk about the the eye-opening Because a lot of people take jazz and they still don't think about, well, what's the root? So I want to know, was there one thing in particular that said, hey, wait a minute, I need to take a look at this. But we'll have to have our audience to hold on. We'll be right back to to continue our discussion. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. 
That's the edge of every day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with my guest today, Lindsay Guarino. And Lindsay, before the break, I was um, curious about how you got so interested in jazz as opposed to any other dance art form. What fascinated you? So I took jazz growing up equal to ballet and modern and tap and pretty much anything that was offered at my home studio. I wanted to learn it all and I was interested in it all, but the through line in my life just became that I knew I had to keep jazz centered. It wasn't until I was going to college at 18 that it was a very conscious decision. I knew that I was going to pick a college program that had jazz. And that wasn't necessarily the case in most college programs because the academy took dance and centered it around ballet and modern forms for many of the reasons that I'm sure we'll get into um, just because of our Euro-American values, the way that we value certain dance forms that are connected to European origins. Uh, but I think that maybe what, what pulled me into jazz was I always felt like I had a space to be myself in the form. I think I had a lot of emotions. I, I was always that dancer that couldn't turn off my my face and my connection to the movement. Mm. Um, and I, I, I felt like other forms maybe encouraged me to hold that back. And I felt like in jazz, I could just experience all the emotion and there was yeah. all the joy present. Yeah. And the connection to the music, mm -hmm. the feeling like the music was driving the dance just always felt like a motivator for me and something that I, I I knew was important to my own identity as a dancer. You know, what's amazing listening to you talk about this. And I think about this so often when we talk about what are the ways in um, which racism cost us, right? So you just saying that in terms of how jazz can be very expressive. And a lot of times in our Eurocentric culture, we're taught to contain those emotions when in fact you you're you're white and you want to be able to express that and i imagine that there are lots of white people who do but yet somehow we grow up in this society you you have to be you know prim and proper and i think about that often when i see these videos of these uh and usually it's little white kids who are in a choir and there's just this one little kid who's just outside of the box, who's just having fun. And I look at that and I look at it and I'll have joy at seeing how expressive they are. And then I'll have just a tinge of sadness because I'll say someone will strip that from her. Yeah, so true, because those are just societal constructs that we're adhering to and we often don't even realize we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. That's why I'm so interested in rooting any understanding of dance in its cultural context so we understand mm -hmm. why you know why jazz was born of out of a necessity to express mm -hmm. and why it was so important to not mold oneself into that euro-american identity which was removing the cultural values i mean just if you think of the value of a posture of a ballet dancer which is lifting yeah. away from the earth that is the opposite of Africanist values, cultural values and religions too. Mm -hmm. So those deep structures, the way that they show up in the dance form, I think it's important to name them and then see why the emotional piece is connected to the cultural piece. I, I love that. I love that because, you know, that's why for me, just thinking about dance just in general and feeling it. Like when you were talking about it, so I'm I'm definitely not a professional dancer, but when you were talking about it and and just 
feeling the movements and the emotions. That's why I love African dance, like with the drumming, because I'm, I'm listening to the sound of the drums and I'm feeling it. And you actually get caught up in it before you know it. You, you're responding Absolutely. to the music rather than it being just so formed. Now, yes, people practice, the troops practice and they choreograph and they do all that. But at some point, you know, it's free flowing. So tell me a little bit about what you what you've learned about the foundation of jazz, like, you know, the its its formation. I said it was rooted from New Orleans and you've just talked a little bit about how it came to be. But what else can you tell us historically about jazz and its foundation? And the the other part of that is I'd like to hear when you first became awakened to, wait a minute, I need to study this a little bit more for myself from a racial perspective. So I, like I said, I went on to pursue a BFA degree in, in dance and it was in a program that had equal emphasis on ballet modern jazz. I took the same approach to finding a grad program and uh, went to the only grad program I could find that had jazz studies as part of that curriculum. And it wasn't until I was editing my first textbook titled Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots and Branches, that I came into conversations around race and racism because we, I was co-editing the book with another white editor. We knew enough at that time to make sure that our our group of authors, that there was representation, that we had Black authors speaking to their Black experience. Um, but at that time, I felt very comfortable being a white editor in that position because I felt like I knew jazz. I studied jazz. I had degrees in it. I, you know, it had been my whole entire life experience. And I would also name that I grew up at a, a studio of all white dancers, and I only had one uh, Black professor all through college and grad school. Mm. And so that lived experience was missing from the conversations I was having around the work. Mm. And when I was editing that first book, all of a sudden we were in conversation with the other authors of the book. And I realized that there were racial tensions and issues of ownership that I didn't necessarily have the skills to negotiate in that space we aren't socialized to talk about race. That was not part of my, my education whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as much as I think that I probably had some white fragility in those moments where, you know, it was me questioning, but I, I did this my whole life and I know, I know jazz. Mm -hmm. I also looking back, took it as an opportunity to quiet myself and listen more. And, and also do this deep work of looking at my own embodied practice that mm. I realized that I was upholding ballet. So I, I, I want to just, I want to just stop you just for a second, because you just said something that was really, really powerful. And that is that you took a step back from your white fragility and decided to listen and embody. So what do you think you know, encouraged you? How are you different from other people who, who stay stuck in their white fragility? You know, because I want, I want our audience to hear what you are saying about taking a step back. So what, what gave you the oomph to say, I can't stay stuck in my white fragility because I wrote this book. I'm, I know jazz. I've done this. You could have stayed there because I've heard plenty people do it. So what's different? I hear people often kind of back off now, especially around the scholarship that um, is in our new textbook, where people throw their hands up and say, maybe I shouldn't be a part of this conversation. Maybe I shouldn't do jazz anymore as a white person. Uh, I, I would like to have a really clear sense of this is how I, I, I knew instinctually to do that. I don't know. I, I think that I was, I had a sense of empathy and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I think the empathy was related to, I was working with people that I had such great respect for, and I wanted to listen to them. And many of them are elders in my field that I just want to learn from. 
And I've always kind of been a, a student, a lifelong learner at heart. I've always just been curious about all the things I don't know. And so I felt in that way, um, I could learn more. So was it for you when you and the other editor decided to do this book, was it really, you know, since you didn't think about that it's two white people doing this book, was it more of just that, you know, the academic rigor? Because we can get caught up in that too, and we have to publish, we have to do this. So was it more of like, well, wow, I, I know jazz, let me do it. So it came from a place of... um really not knowing what you don't know one right because we don't there we don't know when we've crossed that boundary but was that your your motivation and and that's why it didn't occur to you to say hey wait i know all these other black jazz um researchers who could also co-edit with me it's so much bigger than even that because the racism has shifted the jazz dance form so far away from its roots that I didn't even know I was participating in something that was a reflection of Black American culture. Mm. The, the master narrative as I was taught it was this group of five white men at the center of it all. You name the film, All That Jazz, Bob Fosse. He's always centered in the conversation in addition to another group of white men. They were called the fathers, the innovators, and the pioneers. They didn't start making jazz until the 40s, 50s, and beyond. And because of that, the codified styles that I was trained in were all connected to these white men. Mm. There was an acknowledgement that jazz is centered or is rooted in West African dance, but the fact that jazz is a reflection of the Black American experience, that was absent from my training. That was not context I was given. Mm -hmm. And so everyone has been freely participating in this forum without discussing race, period. And mm -hmm. so I was just, you know, a reflection of how systemic racism is not just in this forum, but in our country as a whole. And which is so interesting to me, Lindsay, because it's almost like we have two different worlds in which we grow up in. Because for me, jazz has always been rooted in the UB Blakes, you know, uh, of the world. Um, uh, or thinking about Dizzy Gillespie and people like that. Of course, that's big band. But, you know, it from that to me is jazz. And I, it also makes a difference where we get our training, because I went to a historically Black college. So, of course, they're highlighting this. And hearing you talk about this, it's like, wow, man, it's just two different worlds that we absolutely grow up in. However, there are plenty of people of color who don't know these things as well. And how sad is it that it's been co-opted in that way and that you grew up hearing about this? So thank you for sharing that. We have to actually take a quick uh, break, but when we come back, I'd love to uh, continue the, the discussion if you want to talk more about that, but I have a ton of other questions I want to ask you as well. We will be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest, Lindsay Guarino, and we've been talking about jazz and its foundation and what what got Lindsay started in that. So, Lindsay, before the break, we were talking about how deeply rooted racism is in just in the structure of our society and the co-opting of jazz. So it must have been quite a shock for you when you really started to realize, like, wait a minute, we've been taught about these five essential people in jazz and they and there was no credit to um people of color so tell me a little bit about that uncovering for you I think the shock for me was realizing there were parts of the jazz language that I couldn't tap into or identify clearly until I did the work on myself and I just started listening more I started um, listening to a lot of anti-racism podcasts and reading books and doing that work simultaneously to also, like I said, this historical context surrounding jazz dance itself. But as I listened to all of the anti-racism, anti-racism scholarship and also just the conversations, I drew so many parallels to jazz and I realized that it is one and the same. Mm-hmm. And the more that I listened over there, the more I understood jazz. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that in your listening, when you decided to collect this group of people to contribute to your book, do you feel that there was some healing that took place, that, that they were able to really uh, hear you and you were able to hear them in the final product of the book? I think the healing really took place with this book that was just published earlier this year. Okay. It was a different, the first book reflects jazz, the democratic universal uh, properties of jazz that just make everyone feel like a sense of belonging, like they can be in jazz and if you know it you can show up whether it's your instrument or in class and you can be a part of community right Mm -hmm. and so i felt like in the first book we were honoring that space Mm -hmm. this book that was published earlier this year we were editing the book um, during covid there was the death of george floyd brianna taylor this social and political upheaval and i was uh, deep in conversation within my jazz community and also one of my co-editors, Carlos Jones, who is a Black artist and scholar and uh, being just really deep in that space that we all had in COVID, that space of deep reflection and conversation, but also knowing my role and responsibility in that moment. Mm. If I was not going to dig my heels in and say, this is what I need to say in this moment, then I was doing what white people can do, which is we can always opt out. Mm. And I um, also, this is, this was not something that suddenly George Floyd was murdered and we responded to the conversations had been happening for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It was just how to move them forward and mm-hmm. how to, uh, for example, I had hosted a conference in 2019 and there was a lot of discord between um, just around conversations about race. Mm-hmm. And I left that conference and I said to my colleagues, someone needs to write about whiteness in our book because that's the gap. Someone. <laughs> 
And I thought, I'm not a social scientist. I, right. I'm not, I'm not publishing in that field. And my colleague looked at me and and said what you just said, said someone. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I needed to step up. And, And I also had a lot of work to do to, to do that responsibly. Yeah. Um, you know what, Lindsay, what I appreciate about you and this conversation is this. We find ourselves at the table talking about race, especially prior to 2020. And as a person of color, you know, I'm just imagining what it was like in that conference for that tension to be there. And for me as a person of color, if I were there feeling like they don't get it, they still don't understand And then there's the white fragility on the other side, right? But then I call it the awakening happens in 2020. And that happens. And then people start to look at themselves a little bit differently and go, wait, was I? Was I doing that? And I think that this is the importance of people listening. I'm glad that we are able to listen now. Uh, It's a shame that George Floyd had to be sacrificed and, and every, every other person of color, mm-hmm. right? Because there were plenty other people being killed before that. But there was something about the heinousness of George Floyd's murder that really called all of us to say, wait a minute, we have to do something differently. And so while there had been that conversation with you all for, you know, a decade, you know, the, the, the drive to do something is now. And so I really appreciate you stepping up to the plate and being that someone, right? Because someone has to do the work and it's difficult work to do. It's difficult. And I feel like I try to always position my own humility at the center of it because it's, how do I begin to unpack this language that I'm participating in? And I I always name that I'm a guest in the forum, but when I look at this history, when I look at the roots of the forum, I, I just often feel like I'm not worthy to be a part of this. This is out of an experience that is, is not mine. Hmm. So, um, Keeping that respect and acknowledgement, but also humility at the forefront is, is really important. And, and to your ba- last point, I also felt like I was kind of, uh, I found myself almost being kind of in this position of a conduit where I was hearing my Black colleagues have that, that experience, especially at that conference and after. And then I was hearing the chatter on the other side where people were saying, maybe I shouldn't even do jazz anymore. And I knew that somehow being in this role of, I don't know, mediator is not the right word, but I was positioned in the middle. And there's something about just uh, peeling back the layers and showing truth from a place where you started, where you said, this is just truth in centering ourselves and seeing the world around us. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. So Lindsay, let's, let's talk about this a little bit, you know, this, you being a guest mm-hmm. in this area when you've studied this art form and you and I had a, a conversation, a private conversation about, you know, including whether Benny Goodman should have been included in the promo for this. Right. And I told you I did that purposefully. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a bit about this idea of appropriation versus I'm I'm honoring the space and I'm I'm saying this comes from an Africanist, you know, uh culture. But then I still have to say I'm a guest in it. So let's talk about that because where do we where do we get to this place of we all can just be and just appreciate one another's culture and it's not about appropriation. And maybe you could talk about your idea of what's the difference between appropriation and appreciation. So I'll tell you why I'm I'm kind of talking about this a bit and trying to get to the point that I want to make is that I remember years ago, this white girl went to prom in this very beautiful African garb. Mm -hmm. 
And there were folks up in arms about it who said that she was appropriating the culture. And I disagreed with that because I thought we can appreciate one another's culture without appropriating it. Why does it mean she, it's, it was a beautiful dress? And it wasn't like she was saying, hey, look, this is a, this is a Eurocentric dress. This was just something that she absolutely loved. So where do we get to the place of appreciation versus appropriation and what's your understanding of it? When I think of appropriation, I think of power dynamics. So who has privilege, power, access? And if there is another culture that doesn't have that same privilege, power, access, um, how we can, as a dominant culture, usurp from that culture without respect, acknowledgement, attribution. So that's that's the line where I, I draw for appropriation, but I also recognize that we live in a multicultural country and it's nuanced and there is never going to be a clear line. Mm. And uh, I, I like to think, because I'm an educator first and foremost, I like to think that if we can look at the truth of the form, which in jazz, there are certain universal truths that are foundational. Most of them have been erased and replaced in the jazz dance with European values and aesthetics. Mm -hmm. But if we can move into that space where we're honoring the Africanist is foundational, then it's kind of like I said before, where jazz musicians, if they're all speaking the same language, they can show up with their instrument and play together. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to have all of these conversations because there's a mutual respect That's where right. you're participating in the same shared experience. Yes. And, and that's that's the communal experience that comes from our culture, right? And all in community is central to the jazz language. Mm. So I try to move my students to a place where they're recognizing and experiencing, practicing, embodying those characteristics of jazz. And they're also seeing each other. And, and community is something that has to be practiced. Mm. It doesn't just happen. And mm. so cultivating those spaces feels really important to my practice as an educator, but also to their understanding of jazz. Mm. So, so yeah. Say that part, say the last part again. Do you think when we function, when we operate from those spaces, we can move beyond that binary appropriation versus um, appreciation? I think we just exist. Yeah. So I have so many other things to ask you around this. Um, we are going to have to take a break, but I, I wonder how your Black colleagues feel about that term guest. Is that something that they appreciate you saying? Because I know from just from a culturally and African-American culture, once we accept you as a part of the family, you're no longer guest. And so I wonder what the conversation is in those spaces around that, whether there's an appreciation for that. And then secondly, I was thinking about the freedom you must experience, because I'm sure your teaching is completely different and your dancing is different now that you've come to this. So I'd like to talk about that when we come back. But I feel that um, before I take a break, I want to just do a teachable moment because language is so important. So I try not to use language like dominant culture, minority, because if you think about it, just using that language in and of itself, it puts one group over the other group. And so for both groups, if I think of you as the dominant culture, it might create some inferiority or vice versa that, you know, white people might feel like they are dominant over the other group. So just wanna say that, um, especially for my audience, I've said it on here uh, before, but I think it's really important that we think about that. So we're going to be right, right back uh, in just a few minutes with the um, remainder of the Dismantle Racism show. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. 
In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back. And um, Lindsay, I want to uh, give you a chance just to answer the question around uh, being a guest and how your colleagues might feel about that. And as well as if you feel a bit more freedom Mm -hmm. since you've been able to just, you know, really explore the history of racism. And now you can go into it fully with an open eye and understanding and really embody it, as you said before. Uh, I'll start there. I absolutely feel like the jazz language came alive for me in a way that I hadn't understood before once I I had a better understanding of those values. Mm -hmm. I found that the most elusive, transformative, the things that can't really be taught because they have to be experienced and they're passed down or passed across these um, ways that, again, are Africanist. So it's not you watch me dance and I follow what you do, but again, establishing community, establishing this deep sense of listening, connection to the music, the feeling like you were describing earlier when you talked about African dance, the feeling of moving from the inside out and trusting that. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things, once they became uh, central for me, I just found that, yes, I was completely transformed. And also those values of, of what it is to be lifted and poised, that is held in its tension. And there's a sense of release in jazz movement that comes from a relaxed body that just feels different. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, my uh, black colleagues and collaborators hear me and my colleagues say often that we're a guest. I don't know that, I think that they have accepted that that's kind of the language that we're using right now. No one, I, I think that there's enough trust and open conversation that if they were uncomfortable with it, they would stop and say, you don't need to say that. Mm -hmm. I also wonder though, if it's different in jazz dance than in jazz music, because Mm -hmm. the fracturing in jazz dance is so much more severe than what happened with the music, where there is this continuity of the black music continuum, where if you look at, at jazz dance and especially what became uh, mainstream on stages and studios, what, the way that it was commercialized and commodified. I think that there's just a different um, different language that we're using around the dance than around the music. So I can't. Oh, Lord, thank you for that clarification because that's actually really important, mm-hmm. right? Because I think when I was speaking earlier, I actually was talking about more musicians than I was talking about in terms of dancers but in terms of the people that I remember culturally um as well but of course we know that there are plenty of dancers out there as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah different conversation and 
that's not to say that jazz music, especially when it moved into the academy, didn't replace a lot of those same values with European systems of, um, well, European structures from the education to the uh, values of studying classical music as foundational to jazz. I mean, there's, or even just having more white faculty teach jazz where the people, the culture, the community practicing jazz in social spaces was removed from the academy. All of that is true also, but I think that there's a different um, fluidity in that continuum that's not our experience in jazz dance. So you just made me curious because, you know, and what about as it relates to tap? Oh yeah, tap. When we talk about jazz dance, I'm talking about tap, I'm talking about hip hop, yeah. all of those. They are distinct forms on their own, especially now, but mm -hmm. it's the same language, same roots, same histories, yes. and, and the histories move in different directions, but mm -hmm. it all comes from the same place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, there's so much I could go on to, to <laughs> say to you, but one of the things I think that's really important for our guests uh, or our listeners to hear is that I, I'm very curious, what would you say to people who are afraid to look at history and or who will say, well, that was in the past. Can we just move forward? Mm -hmm. How important is it to you that we understand the history? I don't think we can understand ourselves or our American experience, our culture, our society, the values that we participate in and don't necessarily see because they're they're under the surface. I don't think we can understand any of those things until we start to learn about history, but also interrogate our own identities. I just, mm -hmm. I really do feel like that's critical to existing here in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, but I would also add I experience resistance all the time in my classrooms, not necessarily from my dancers, but in other spaces where I'm teaching, you know, a one course for one semester to students that from the general university population. Mm. Uh, there's definitely resistance from students that feel like talking about race or talking about cultures is divisive. Mm -hmm. And so it's trying to make space. Yes, it, 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 it's hard for people who are doing a one and done to right. understand it, right? So this is why this work is a continuum that you have to uh, just keep at it. What, what helps you in those difficult moments? Because dismantling racism is a difficult thing to do, but it's also a rewarding thing to do, which is why, you know, I do it because it's rewarding, or one of the reasons why um, I do it, because I know that it's important to make an impact to heal the world. So I keep going, mm -hmm. and I want to leave the world a better place for my children and others who come behind me. So what is it for you that keeps you in the game? And that you don't opt out. So for those times when your white colleagues are like, Lindsay, what are you doing? Or you're getting pushed back from colleagues of color. What keeps you in the game? A few things. One, facts are facts. So when I'm teaching, I'm just teaching facts. And I try to remove myself from a lot of that information so it doesn't come across as my agenda, but it's just me teaching history, culture, aesthetics. But when it comes to what keeps me going, I think that um, I think the thing that keeps me going is my own journey because I can look back and see that I was a different person five years ago. I was a different person ten years ago, and so sometimes I, I understand that someone reacts or responds in a certain way, but it's because they're at a different place in their journey, and maybe I can open up something that they don't understand in that moment but there's a moment of reflection or a moment that they understand five years later or 10 years later. There's, mm -hmm. I just think that we're works in progress. And if we don't say the things, then we're giving people permission to stay comfortable. So I'm not interested in that, but mm -hmm. I also recognize that not everyone is ready to receive the information. 
when they said. And I appreciate you saying that there's a progression and that you're in a different place because we often forget that in the conversation when we're getting frustrated, like, why don't you get this? Because they're in a different place. I really, really appreciate our conversation today. Lindsay, I thank you so much for um, coming today. Tell people how we can be in touch with you and how they can get a copy of your latest book or both your books. You can buy the textbook on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. It is from University Press of Florida, so also through their website. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram. My email is on the Salve Regina University website. I'm interested and passionate in continuing the conversation. So yes, feel free to reach out. If you go follow me on social media, though, you're going to see lots of pictures of my kids. Well, that's all good, too, as well. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for being on the show today. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And I want to encourage you to do your part to dismantle racism. Stay tuned, please, for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you. Know that we're all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so you're listening to talk radio and you on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 